Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number nine of the Crazy Money Podcast. This is Paul Ollinger. I am happy that you're here. Today, we have a very, very special guest. One of the greatest men on the planet is with me. His name is William H. Ollinger Sr. He is a retired nuclear engineer. He's a genius of frugality, and he is my father. Today, April 9th, 2019, is his 92nd birthday. 92. Pretty darn good, Dad. I wanted to talk to my dad because the purpose of this whole podcast is to explore our individual and collective relationships with money. And the household that you grow up in is a huge determinant as to what that relationship is for you. Whether you're rich or poor or right in the middle, how you see the world as a kid and how your parents paint an economic reality for you is a big driver of the attitudes you have about money today. And this idea to interview my dad came when I was driving him home from a doctor's appointment late last year. And we just started talking about money. And I asked him, you know, what would you, which, what would you have done differently if you made 25% more money back when you had kids in the house? And I asked him, would you have been less stressed about money? And he said, I don't remember being stressed about money. And I almost drove off the road. I really did. Because because as I recall, economic stress was a constant subtext in our house growing up. And that was from my perspective. And perhaps as a child, as a young teen, I mistook frugality or self-denial for economic peril. When I heard we can't afford that or we don't need that, what I heard was we're going to run out of money. (laughs) Or I remember thinking I want to make a lot of money when I grow up because I don't want to stress about money like my parents stressed about money. What's really, really interesting in this conversation is that my dad sticks to his guns about not being stressed about money. And the attitude he has about money is one that is far too rare and really endangered. He doesn't care about material things. He believes that the Lord will provide. You'll hear it. Anyway, I don't want to take my dad's thunder here. Anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation because he's a brilliant yet very simple man and I love him a whole lot and I admire him just as much as I love him. So here it is, interview with my dad. You're a devout Catholic. You start forming a family. At what point, if ever, does do we have enough money to pay for all these mouths enter into the conversation? Or do you just go pick up shifts at O'Leary's pub if, if, if uh, ends don't meet? I never, never thought of it. Never occurred to you to think, do I have enough money to have another baby? No. <laughs> That's the most Catholic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. This is not a podcast about how to make a million bucks, how to beat the stock market, or how to save money by switching cable providers. It's about how we think about and live with money as a society and as individuals. It's about the choices we make that lead us toward or away from happiness. Welcome to Crazy Money. I want to introduce you, William H. Ollinger, age 91 years young, former nuclear engineer for the Southern Company, father of six children, one of whom is me. I consider my dad to be a financial wizard, 
a knight in the army of frugality, the ranks of which have been thinned to an alarming rate in our country. Dad, do you accept your knightship? I accept it. I'm honored. (laughs) (laughs) Dad, I'm very interested in having this conversation with you because at 91 years old, as a member of the Depression era, the World War II generation, you have a perspective on money and home economics, for lack of a better word, that I think is a rare one indeed. And I want to understand more about how you got to it and how you sustained it through raising six kids and sending them to school and all the temptations that you might have had to break your loyalty oath to the honor of frugality, but somehow you stuck with it. So start with me by telling me about the house you grew up in. What did your dad do for a living? My grandfather was uh, running to his friend, Marshall Turner, and he says, "Um, I'm starting a new business, Harry, my grandfather, and would you like to invest in it? What year was this? This would have been in November 1905. He says, well, I have a son going to finish uh, high school in uh, June. Perhaps you can give him a job. Ah, it's the old nepotism thing working already. Absolutely. (laughs) Where was this? Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. And at the time, what what do you think the population of Mobile was? Oh, it was probably 20,000. 20,000. Okay, and it's uh, on the water. It's a port. Port okay, of, on Mobile Bay. On Mobile Bay. It's the only port of, uh, in the state of Alabama. So this supply company that Mr. Turner was starting, what did they do? Well, it was uh, mill supplies. You have paper mills and cotton mills in Mobile. and uh, Pepper mills. Industrial supplies, you might say, a more general thing. Mostly stuff that they would use in cotton mills or paper mills, as I understand it. So your dad started there right out of high school. He went to work right out of high school, right? And the, and the business was about six months old at that time. So when did he get married to your mother? Well, let's see. He finished high school in uh, uh, 1906, and he married her in 1920. Oh, okay. Wow, he just 14, 14 years later. Yeah, so he was thirty. He was thirty-two. Oh, just the same age you were when you got married. That's right. I'm assuming he rose up the ranks at That's right. Turner Supply Company, That's where he right. worked since he was a young man. Never went to college. He wanted to go to college. His father said, "You going to work? Go to work." <laughs> why do you think he said that? He had him a job. Well, why not? Why get? Why go get you one of them educations when you already got a job? What's the? You learn on the job. You you learn that's your education. Learn right all there. that fey Latin and silly silly reading. Yeah. Um, well, so your dad had a good job for fourteen years before he got married. I think he enjoyed his uh, the fourteen years as uh, being a young man about time. And, he was and, a player and rather, and rather successful. Uh, because he had a steady job. I mean, he's beginning at 18. and uh, So he ran the table of all the ladies in the, in the, in the greater Mobile area in 1905. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so he marries your mom, and they commence to bring many babies into the world. You had yeah. six siblings? Correct. By the time you come along, it's 1927. The recession is 
kicking off around the country. What was the economic mood like in Mobile and specifically in your home? I don't think we had any money problems, but my father made it not to tell, not to uh, disclose to the children his financial stuff because he realized that kids will talk, you know. He would keep you in the dark as to their your financial situation, or he he didn't want you talking to other kids about having stuff, or both? I would say both. I could tell we were better off than most people, but we didn't spend a lot of money. We were, we were kind of frugal. I think we could afford it. We could have lived a higher lifestyle. But that wasn't my that wasn't my problem. What do you remember about? Did your father talk to you about money? Did he te- did he teach any lessons about money as a child? Or I would say his example. He uh, was uh, frugal. Both my parents were kind of frugal, although they were from uh, not rich families. But my mother's family, her father had nothing and uh, started the business and did uh, did very well. Then he uh, then he died at uh, I think in his fifties. His twenty one year old son took over the business and failed right away because he didn't know anything, you know. And he's twenty one. I knew everything when I was twenty one. You should yeah. have asked me. Yes, you may recall. He got married. The marriage didn't last, but there were three children and went to New York and never recovered. Uh, New York has that effect on a lot of people, especially <laughs> hayseeds from Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> so they had a conservative approach to money. And Yes. What do you remember about the Depression? Do you remember seeing people that were down on their luck? People would come to the door and say they're hungry. And we had a place where we kept stuff to feed people if they were hungry. I mean, it wasn't nothing but rolls or something like that, but... I guess when you're hungry, you're glad to get that. Take a roll if I'm hungry. Things were a lot tougher, but not for us. Or we wouldn't. We really wasn't aware of it. So you came from a. There was always enough to eat. You always you had a nice home. That's correct. And and all the kids went to went to school. We went to parochial schools, and okay. they they were not expensive. Right at, at that at that time, I didn't go to the parish school. I went to another private Catholic school, but I don't think the tuition was very much because every now and then I would be given the task to turn in the monthly bill, the monthly check, and I, I don't think it was anything like, a, I think it was about $5 or something like that. $5? This was a depression, so right. that was a lot more money. But uh, I couldn't see that we were, we were suffering, but we were still a frugal family. Was there anything that you didn't have that you wanted as a as a child? Material things or opportunities or things that you wanted that your father warned you against being frivolous? I understood what the rules were, whether you would uh, <laughs> had sense enough not to ask for something you're not going to get. <laughs> right. I mean, when you know the answer is no, you don't answer the question. <laughs> when you were 12 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? I was 12 years old. I really wasn't interested in growing up. <laughs> Pause, please. There's the phone. 
Did you go to college with a career in mind or? No. What did you think you wanted from college when you went to college? This would have been in 1934. Sorry, 1944. 1944. Yeah, I got out of high school and uh, a week or two later, I was uh, going to summer school at Spring Hill College and uh, I was accompanied by my sister Ruth and uh, Nell. And Buddy Smith came along, too. Buddy Smith, the world-famous future baker, purveyor yes. of bread stuffs for Mobile region. And also the future um, golf champion, Alabama State golf champion. I didn't and know his that. father was the Alabama State golf champion in 1931. And so about in 44, Buddy got that honor. I mean, he was good. <laughs> what did you study your first year of college? Did you have general requirements, or were you thinking well, about Well, I was nature? more interested in mathematics and, and physics, and that just fit together. Because that was just something you were good at and interested in? Yeah, I was good at it, yeah. So then you had, as I recall, your the war sort of was an inconvenience to your education, an interloper to the, the, the straight traditional four-year path at Spring Hill. That's right. I got out of high school. I just turned 17 at so it was about a year before I had to face the draft. I followed the path Zoology was on and joined the March Marine Cadet Corps. I was still 17 when I left Spring Hill to go to uh, training in the March Marine. So you then spent years in the military. You were in the Merchant Marine Corps. The March Marine Cadet Corps. And, and then you joined the Navy afterwards? Well, the March Marine Cadet Corps... It's really a four-year peacetime program. Mm -hmm. The plan was to go to school a year, then go to sea a year, then back to the academy for two years. Mm -hmm. Now, this was wartime, so the first year was uh, like 17 weeks, <laughs> and then I went to... Um, War math. And then I went to sea. There's only two cadets on the ship. I was on, I mean. And being a merchant marine during World War II was uh, not necessarily the safest assignment. Well, by the time I got there, the war stopped. You scared them into submission. That's right. The when Germans. I, I left for India, and before we got out of New York Harbor, the war was over. <laughs> so they knew I was coming. And then they were changing from a wartime schedule of the Rice Spring Academy to a peacetime. And so... Um, I got to the academy for a year and a half after being about a year in sea duty, so to speak. Run me through the next few years. Then after that, I went to work for Waterman Steamship Company as a uh, third officer on a merchant ship. Uh, I did that for about a year, and then I went to the Merchant Marine Academy. Then I went back to Spring Hill and... Uh, Got a bachelor's degree there. And lo and behold, uh, I was going to go to graduate school and uh, applied to go to St. Louis University. Why did you want to go to graduate school? I was studying physics and I didn't think I knew enough from just a BS, <laughs> particularly at Spring Hill. Uh oh. Wasn't particularly good in physics. The I think. provost of Spring Hill is not going to be happy with this smack talk oh. about their physics program. At that time. At the time. <laughs> they, they fixed it. They fixed it with the 
Bear Bryant chair in in physics that they've endowed. So, what did you think you wanted to do with a with a master's of physics? Did you were you thinking about getting your PhD or teaching? Yes, or? yes, definitely. Uh, I was a PhD was. Uh, and what were kind, you kind of in the tentative plans? What anyway. were you thinking you'd do with a PhD in physics? Well, at that time, uh, physics was a glamour science. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the nuclear stuff was being developed and whatnot. So I went into the nuclear program. Is this where I find out you've been a spy for all these years that I didn't know about? Or you worked on the Manhattan Project as a 17-year-old and where the body's buried, Dad? I need to know that. (laughs) Yeah, the Manhattan Project started, uh, I guess, during the war, I guess, to make civilian use of uh, nuclear power. So I thought that that looked like an opportunity for for employment, so. So you you were studying physics partly because there was a lot going on in in the uh, the world nuclear of nuclear power. power at that time. Yeah, and so you were in the PhD program. What happened? It was a woman, wasn't it, Dad? <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was thinking of going to graduate school. I'd finished Spring Hill. I got my master's. Planning to go to St. Louis U to get a a master's degree in physics, and along comes the Korean War, and the Navy was looking for people. Mm-hmm. So Joe talked me into volunteering. <laughs> Way to go, Joe! I went to the because Navy. of you, my father doesn't have a PhD. I went to the Navy and uh, really liked it. Uh, How long between St. Louis and meeting Mom? What what happened between those years? Oh, goodness, I don't have to think about that. <laughs> I don't need her name. I don't need her name. <laughs> don't need her name. Well, jobs were, uh, with a physics degree, were easy to get at that time. So mm-hmm. I went to work for DuPont, which ran the Savannah River plant. And what was DuPont making? Bombs? Well, DuPont was is a chemical company, of course. Right. But what what kind of work were they doing in the nuclear world? Well, they were running the Savannah River plant. Doing that for the government. Oh, I see. For one dollar a year, because they had. That sounds fishy to me. Well, I'll do it for a dollar a year. I swear that's all the compensation I want. They did something in World War One that gave them a bad reputation. Dupont did. Yes, I've forgotten what it was, but so they wanted to overcome that, so that's why they worked for a dollar a year to run. Google what they did in World War One. So, how long did you work for Dupont? Well, I think DuPont dropped the program and somebody else took care of it. Uh, another big but you worked at Savannah River Plant for a few years. Yeah. Did you wait until you had achieved some level of financial stability before you got married? Was that in your mind? I had an uncle that was very good looking. When my grandfather died, he took over the business at age 21. The business immediately failed because he didn't know what he was doing. So it was kind of drummed in me that don't do what Uncle Yin did, you know. <laughs> Uncle Yin, he was the rap scallion. Yeah. So you wanted to be prepared when you got married, and you were you met mom. You you had a good job. I remember one time I asked you, "How does somebody prepare to have six children?" Which you which you had. You had six kids. Oh, you just trust in the line. Right, and that was essentially the answer you gave me then, and I just yeah. was wondering if you would change your mind. 
The Lord's been good to me. Oh, okay. All right. Well. So, so you don't prepare. You just do it. You're a devout Catholic. You start forming a family. At what point, if ever, does do we have enough money to pay for all these mouths enter into the conversation? Or do you just go pick up shifts at O'Leary's Pub if if, if uh, ends don't meet? I never, never thought about it. Never thought about it? <laughs> no. Never occurred to you to think, do I have enough money to have another baby? No. <laughs> That's the most Catholic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, that, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Lord's going to take care of you. That's all. See, you got to have the faith. Okay. So it... it, it any point between 19, so you had your first child in 1961, or 1960, October 1960. Okay, well, no, number one, I'm from a frugal-minded family. Right. So all my life I've been saving and okay. and investing in not the right investments maybe, mm-hmm. but letting money accumulate if nothing in a savings account, which gives a, a little interest. Right. So... uh I always had money in the bank. I never worried about money. Because you weren't out blowing it. You were a pretty conservative young man. You didn't get married until you were 32, but you weren't a playboy between 21 and 32. You weren't no. blowing it on no vacations, golf, gambling. Yeah, I, I was thinking I, I really didn't invest it as I should have. Right. But I uh, I still had, you know, even a savings account, giving a few percent interest, it can... Uh, can build up over over several years. So you were a solvent young man. No wonder that your mother-in-law held you in such high esteem. I didn't know she did that. When did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so you start having kids. Now, between at any point between having your first child and having your sixth child, and, and that's probably, what, 12 or 13 pregnancies for six kids? At least. Like a 50, at least that many pregnancies? Yeah, there were a few that didn't. Well, yeah, right. So, so you basically had like a fifty percent take rate. So, so I'm, I'm laughing. Sorry, brothers and sisters that didn't make it. I, I really, I, I'm not treating you as callously as as it may sound. At no point between the time you start having kids and the time all of them are fully fledged, independent adults, uh-huh. assuming we've gotten there. Yeah. So, have we gotten there? <laughs> <laughs> at least financially speaking, forget about it. Nobody's flirted with me recently. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody, have any of my siblings hit you up for cash recently? Okay. So were there, were there times where you're just like, ah, this, I mean, how hot did the financial stress burn? Not at all. Raising that many kids. Not at all. Not at all. Your profession during this time. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a saver. Right. I've always saved. So always had money in the bank. Uh-huh. Uh, Never rich, but always a saver. Yeah, I mean, well, you're rich now because you don't spend any money, and you're 91, and you don't need to spend any money. I don't know. I'd have to ask you. You and Bubba, if you want to take it over, I don't know. <laughs> you're you're pretty rich, relatively speaking, relative to your needs, and that's a whole other thing. Yeah, right? yeah that's right. I mean, rich really is how much you have versus how much you need, and you don't need very much, and so you've got your needs covered. Well, for- don't have. You got to have your taste. To be in line with with your income, I mean, you need another wife to take to go shopping on your pensions. That's what you need. (laughs) You're a saver, so you never felt stress. You were out of work for during a period for like a year, weren't you? In like 1969, before I came along, 
Weren't you looking for work for about a year? You own two houses, yeah. one in Atlanta and one in Ohio. You had four kids and me on the way, the most important of all your children. And you weren't stressed at all during that time. I really didn't worry about it. I figured the wow. Lord, Lord take care of me. Wow. Well, not only that. Did you know, how did mom feel about you putting it all in the Lord's hands? Well, I had parents that I could go to. I never did. I never wanted to. Right. But I did have, um, if things got really bad, I knew where I could do. I could go. That's that's the difference between being broke and being poor. I in my in my opinion, because I've been broke. I've been broke as a young adult, and I always knew that if things got really bad, I could come home. Yeah, that's right. That 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 if I was willing to ask for that help, I knew it existed. That's and right. And you would have thought probably nothing of giving it. It would have hurt me to ask a lot more than it would have hurt you to give it. I think that's correct. <laughs> and so you you always knew that was there for you too. I felt it was, yes. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have existential stress over being missing a paycheck for a few months, even with four kids. Well, I've always been a saver. I'd always had money in the bank. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I had a backup. Now, that money wasn't invested well, mm -hmm. but, but even getting a, a few percent is a lot better than nothing. And knowing you, it, it may have not been invested well, but it wasn't invested recklessly. Yeah, it was uh, very, very conservative. Right. So you didn't get tremendous returns, but you never lost $200,000 in Chinchilla Farm investments. No, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> you didn't know about <laughs> the next generation. The Chinchilla investment was that a reference to a, a, an episode of MASH? So you never really thought too much. You just sort of studied what you wanted to study, and then you started having kids without a master plan other than just, we'll get by, we're not, we're not going to waste money. Never spend everything you make. I mean, first of all, you don't expect to uh, live paycheck. I, I never live paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. I've always been a saver all my life. Mm -hmm. So I always had money in the bank, so to speak. Not a lot. But it seemed a lot to me. Right. It, was, it was sufficient, you know. Well, relative to, again, relative to your consumption. And I always had my parents I could go to mm -hmm. if things really got bad, and I never had to, and I never wanted to, and I don't think they wanted me to. No, I, I don't think any parent wants you to, but they, they want you to know. They, they don't want you to freak out. What would you say is your, was your biggest extravagance in those days? Did you have anything that was, if you had an extra 50 bucks, that you didn't put in the bank, would you ever treat yourself to something? I think I had everything I needed. Uh, Which was like stale bread, water, and <laughs> adequate clothing? What is, how do you, what was everything you needed? Well, I mean, like, like your basics of food and clothing. A car that starts? Yeah, you want a car, a, a workable, reliable car. Mm -hmm. And uh, th that's the um, important thing, man. What was the first car that you bought that had power windows? Do you remember? I don't remember. <laughs> I think I can tell you. It was about 20 years after power windows became available. Why would you want power windows? 
Who wants to pay for that? Because if you're always riding shotgun, then your right bicep gets to be so much larger rolling up that window than your left bicep. When did you first get cable television? Do you remember this? No, I don't. The, when the Allinger family first got cable television. No, I, I can't imagine. In, you, in, you the year, in the year of our Lord, 1989. Was that the year? <laughs> Somewhere around. The, I, I think mom talked you into it because at a certain point you realized that if you didn't have cable television, your children wouldn't come home to visit. And I passed up that up. You, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a good strategy you had. How many times in your life have you borrowed money? The only time I've borrowed money is for real estate for a house. You've never borrowed money to buy a car? I've never borrowed money to buy a car. So if you knew you were going to need a new car? I'd have the money, and I'd buy a new car, not a used car. I'd buy a new car because I know what I was getting. When I bought a used car, I didn't know what the hell I was getting. And I would keep a car from new till it was drunk. That I recall. That part I do remember. And the nineteen sixty seven Plymouth Belvedere that you were driving in nineteen eighty four. What was the Belvedere? The Belvedere was the three in the tree with the steel dashboard, custom designed to smash twelve year old brains when you hit the brakes too fast. So you've never borrowed money to buy a car. No. You've never borrowed money to pay for a vacation. No. How do you feel about people who borrow money to go on vacation? I think they're sick. <laughs> Why would you borrow money to have a good time? How about to buy a mattress? Would you ever borrow money to buy a mattress? Yes, I wouldn't. You would? I can't conceive of being that broke. (laughs) That you would have to borrow money to buy a mattress? Yes. What did it represent to you to have money in the bank, even if it was Not in the bank. I I had it in my drawer. I liked it in my drawer. What did you want that money for when you were 13 years old? Just let it accumulate. Let it accumulate? Yes. So you were a I saver? I wasn't smart enough to invest it even in a savings account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my father set up savings accounts for all of his children, which was, I think, a good good thing. And a few times a year, he may drop a few dollars in them. Did you have an allowance? Not until I was uh, in my teens, I think. Do you remember what your allowance was, how much it was? I remember I was a freshman it's Spring Hill. I was 17, mm-hmm. and I got $4 a week. What would you spend that on? Spend it? Why the hell spend it? <laughs> so this is... I mean, maybe to go to the movies, but for the most part, it just accumulated. Wow. You were a saver in college. Where did you fail that I didn't get this uh, You're not cheap sensibility? <laughs> Clearly, I didn't inherit your genius. Well, I've gotten, I've earned my cheapness over time. I'll check with Stacy. <laughs> oh, she thinks I'm cheap, believe me. Speaking of marriage, how did yours and mom's approach to money differ or coalesce? I think they coalesce fine. I mean, you were married for 55 years from 1959 until mom passed away in 2014. What's the most expensive jewelry you ever bought, Mom? Does it start with tie and end with Mex? No, the most expensive thing I bought was a wedding ring. Right. Okay. Oh, engagement ring. Her engagement ring. And that was about seven hundred dollars. Wow. Which was a lot more money then. Sure, of course. Mom was raised in a pretty frugal environment herself. At least, yes. From, as she was, she was raised by a yes. single mother who was a secretary. Yes. 
yeah. they eventually had a one room apartment. And so this suave young naval officer with $50 in his checking account represented a home run. Who am I to say? <laughs> <laughs> and so over time, did you and mom fight about money? I don't really think we fought about money. I think we were in general agreement that what you don't need, you, you save and invest for that. Right. I guess if you look back and you say, if, if you had 50% more money coming in when you when you were working, how would you have spent that money? Well, you probably would have saved it. I would have invested. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? And then what? Well, you, you never know. You got education. People go to college That's and whatnot. Right. Uh, as the family grows, uh, their expenses become... Uh, Greater. Absolutely expensive. Yeah. yeah, so you you really want the money ahead of time and be ready for the... Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, then you need a new car, you need a car. Yeah, I'm raising kids in a in, a, in an environment of uh, plenty and affluence, and I, I still hear them wanting things that they don't need or that we can't afford. You have six kids, surely at one point, one of my brothers and sisters, not me, but one of them must have said hey, I want this thing, and you either couldn't afford it or you chose not to make it a budgeting priority. How did you go about doing that? I can't think of a, of a case where that was. What, what did it, you want? <laughs> well, there's a bunch. I get uh, an Atari 2600, uh, Mattel Electronic Football, Basketball, Baseball. What did you feel like you wanted to provide your children from a financial point of view? What, what, okay, what I, were your obligations I, as a parent? Okay, I think they should uh, learn the value of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And the way you learn That's that... That's 94 cents, right? <laughs> yeah. The best thing is to go to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, uh, whether you're fr- throwing newspapers uh, or, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. You know how long it takes to accumulate for whatever you want, whether it's a bicycle or... Right. To be able to make a connection between what they want and, uh, well, and yeah, how to the, earn the value it. of a dollar, right? Okay. And what, it, what did you feel like you needed to provide them? Clearly, you you and mom valued Catholic education, so you prioritized oh. paying private school tuition. But then there was also college, and did you feel like your obligation to your kids was get them through college debt free, and then let them go and figure it out from there? Yes, I think that's that. That's right. We say we don't do graduate school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recall. I, I remember. But uh, I'm, I'm apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out fine. I mean, uh, it motivated me. But you see these student loans today, these kids coming out with $60,000 worth of debt from college with a communications degree. That's not setting a kid up for success. Well, it says 60000 in other words, they're, they're on that tab for 60000 Well, that's what I'm saying. But, you know, I think some, the ethos today is, yeah, well, college costs a lot of money and people are going to have to borrow, but these are degrees that aren't income producing even. It's one thing if you graduate with a degree in accounting that is monetizable. If you have $40,000 in debt, you can pay that back if you're making $100,000 a year for a few years. I would... Uh like you to get out of college debt free, and right. I, th- I think all of you did, relatively speaking. At least from a tuition standpoint, I can't speak to what somebody's bar-based visa bills were. But you told me about the night before I went to, to college, 
you have four years, do with them what you will. I suggest you graduate. Those were your parting words to me. Well, I, uh, my thing is, this is this, this is not going going on indefinitely, right? You're not but, on the seven. But a plan. week, week uh, that could have been extended. I mean, uh, uh, oh, now you tell me, <laughs> <laughs> I could have squeezed six years of college out of you. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> I didn't think I would have. I mean, you would. Uh, I think uh, leaving home and going away to college. I mean, going away to college is a good way to leave home mm-hmm. because you you. you you kind of do it gradually. Right. I mean, you have a place you can come back to. It's a four-year training facility for how to live on your own, sort of. Yeah. And if you can live at home and go to school, that's uh, that's to your advantage. You don't have those. Right. You have less debt, if you have any at all. My general thing is to avoid going into debt. Right. I think debt is just so expensive. It costs so much to pay it back. What do you think is an appropriate federal tax rate? An appropriate federal tax rate. Right. What should people pay in taxes? Is 50% too high? Is 25% too low? Well, you know, the general idea is pay as little as possible because as soon as the government knows they can get more out of you, they will. Mm-hmm. Or they'll work and try to. Right. It kind of depends on what you're going to get from it. If you're getting a good education, 25% may not be, be too high if they're going to pick up, if you're going to use the public education system. And right, that, right. And that's generally the best. I mean, or oh, it, be, it can be very good, uh, quite adequate, you know. Mm-hmm. It may depend on where you live, what state you live in, and whatnot, what they have to offer. Right. But... The biggest thing, as a young person, you're going to redeem right away is your education mm-hmm. or your help with your education. Mm-hmm. And the question is how much taxes should that Yeah, well, should taxes be, how progressive should the tax rate be? What should the tax rate be on somebody that makes $50,000 a year? And what should the tax rate be on someone who makes $300,000 a year? Okay, between fifty and three hundred, that's a fact of six. I uh, really don't see the person paying six times more taxes. But if they had even the same flat rate, the person would be paying six that, times more taxes. Yeah. And most places have, or certainly in the United States, we have a progressive tax system where he would be paying a higher percentage. A higher percentage, yeah. So, I mean, so even with a flat tax rate, he'd be paying six times as much. On incremental income, should he be paying 50% more? as a percentage of that incremental income? I don't think so, huh? Steve Forbes would be glad to hear your answer. Steve Forbes would. I guess my income has been on the low side, not really super high. What's the most I ever made? I don't know. It was always good. Never, You never got to rich territory. Until over years of spending less than you made, you and the time value of money, lo and behold, you, you've turned into a uh, relatively wealthy fella. And I think that what I've done is avoid going into debt. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pay cash rather than uh, right. cash and be done with it. Right. 
When you do spend money, you recommend cash. In general, yes. Right. For something like an automobile, yeah. Is there any other advice you'd like to offer on how to live a good financial life? Uh, spend less than you make. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it comes down to that, spend less than you make, and invest the, the difference, mm-hmm. or at least put it in a savings account where it, it pretty much stays the same. And don't mess with it from there. Well, it's there if you need it. Right. I mean, it's, it's a backup. Don't go borrow. Use your own money. Don't. Mm-hmm. When you go to somebody else, they, they want service charges and, All you that know. nonsense, yeah. All right, Dad, thank you for talking to me. You've set an, an amazing financial example, and I appreciate that. Amazing financial <laughs> I'm being 100% sincere when I say that. I think you're a financial hero. Just don't spend money you don't have. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, that's it's, like, that's it's the, it that simple. It's the best advice and the least followed of all financial advice there is. People can't live within their means. It's a very challenging thing for people to do these days for so many reasons. What I uh, think is a difficulty when you're single, you make the decisions. Mm-hmm. If they're the wrong, you you suffer for it, whatnot. Right. But when you're married, well, first of all, the wife's got certain ideas. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> and part of may be your mother wasn't this way, but I can understand that certain people feel they have to put up a show mm-hmm. that they. They look like they're rich. Right. They look like they can afford what they're spending. I didn't have that problem. Right. I mean, I, I'm lucky that way, but I can understand that they, that that could be a problem. Yeah. And the wife could be very unhappy when you want to save for tomorrow because you know this kid in the crib may want to go to college. You know? Yes. They they want that eventually. Yeah, and you should be ready for it, not not wait till uh, they finish high school if they will. Let's see how we're going to finance right, it. Right, yeah. Well, it shouldn't be finances. It should be paid out you of pocket. paid for cash, right. And then what you accumulate can, you know, if you get sitting in, in some kind of uh, investment or whatnot, it, it should grow. Right, yeah. Okay, thank you, Dad. You're welcome. And uh, where will this be printed? <laughs> So that is the wisdom of William Henderson, Billy Ollinger, proud son of Mobile, Alabama, and proud graduate of the United States Merchant Marine Academy. It just makes me happy listening to his wisdom and just the brilliant simplicity of it all. You know, it's like, don't overcomplicate your life with stuff. He's the most Buddhist Catholic you'll ever want to meet, not on purpose, just because he has controlled his desires down to all he wants to do is live a good life and be an honorable man. And I think he's hit it out of the park in that regard. Before we leave, I just want to say thank you so much again for listening. If you have the chance, please share with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, write us a nice review on whichever platform you're listening to this thing. We really care about it. I say we, that's me and my buddy, producer, editor, Mike Carano, the famous Mike Carano. As we leave, I want to leave you with the parting thoughts of my siblings, each of whom shared some thoughts about what dad taught them about money. Hope you enjoy it. See you next week. This is my sister, Kathy. She is the oldest in the clan. Kathy, what did dad teach you about money? 
first of all, savings. He was the original direct deposit. We didn't have it back then, but somehow he knew uh, when I was paid and conveniently <laughs> asked me and offered to deposit my check and how much did I need for the week, you know, maybe $5 for a movie. And uh, he would get that deposited right away. He encouraged work. Many times he picked us up and dropped us off uh, before we could drive. I remember he always spent cash for everything, for cars. Although at one point, he's, he's not such a miser. He did tell mom, you know, you don't want to buy junk. If you have to spend your money, you want good quality. That was important to him. Or if a car is breaking down all the time, it might be cheaper in the long run to look at a new one. So it's important how you save the money that you earn and always to live near public transportation in case you have car trouble. This is my older brother, Cole. The best thing my dad ever taught me about money was how important it is to save it. It's a basic lesson, maybe the best lesson. I don't always seem to have learned it, even many years on. But of course, I embrace it as much as I can. And really happy that dad is able to enjoy later in life so many of the fruits of his most excellent labors. What a man, not just money-wise, but teaching us the teaching us values, not just the values of value of money. This is older brother Bill, aka Bubba. Well, the one thing that I learned that I've passed on to my kids, or I should say one of the things I've learned, is that when dad talked about college, he said, uh, I, you have four years. Do with it what you will. I suggest you graduate. So <laughs> I, I would assume one of the other siblings came up with that, too. In the interview with Dad, I actually say that. So clearly he's recycling advice from one older sibling to the younger ones. I wonder where he got it. That would be a good question because you do need to ask him about that. Uh, and then the other thing that he told me was, just watch your expenses because, you know, your income is your income and you can work on it making that change. But if you just take care of the expenses and live within your means currently, you'll, you'll always be okay. This is my sister, Trisha. Do you have any questions before we begin? I hate this. No. Trisha, what did dad teach you about money? Um, I guess the way I look at it. He taught me two things, meaning it's, it was his words and his actions is what I learned the most. He said, save your money, don't pay interest, that kind of stuff. It started very young. So he taught us that all birthday checks had to go into the college fund. We had to get a job when we were 16. All those checks went into the college fund. He also showed us how to sacrifice to save money meaning he rode the bus every day to work to downtown Atlanta so we could use his car to get to school or to get to our sports, what have you. When I went away to college, we opened up a checking account. When I did that, he helped create the debit card pin for me, and it required four digits. He created work. He thought it was the funniest thing, W-O-R-K. So, yeah, he definitely enjoyed teaching us, but he did it through his own actions. So. That's what I would say typifies dad and how he taught us how to approach money. This is my little sister, Claire. Claire, what did dad teach you about money? Well, dad taught me to be very careful with money and to respect money and that I didn't need anything. He often said we didn't need 
anything. That really helped me a lot, especially in a few years where I had very little because I never spent money I didn't have. I was so conservative when I had very little money that I didn't spend anything, no movies, no dinners out, nothing. And that got me through very lean times. But then when the lean times are over, you have to allow yourself and your children to spend money on normal things like movies and clothes and dinners and things like that. We didn't need anything. That's what he said over and over again. We didn't need it. Being a single mom, I had money left over and bought my house, you know, without their help. And it was only because everyone else was out of money all the time, everybody around me. And I'm like, I make less than everybody else. How is it that I have more money? And it's because I refuse to spend it, which then later you find out like you have to spend money or you're not a normal person anymore. (laughs) So anyway, what did everybody else say? 